Over the past year, Facebook has been no stranger to the conversation happening around fake news. Get an inside look at what the company's doing to fight against misinformation with Facebook's new short film, Facing Facts. Watch at InsideFeed.com. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. I am part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Normally I tell you I'm in the Vox Media headquarters in New York City. Not today. I'm at Gimlet Media HQ. Hard by exotic Gowanus Canal. Super fun. <laughs> Luxury condos here with the Gimlet Media folks. Canada geese on the water. Alex Blumberg, that's you? Yes. Matt Lieber, that's you. Hey. Hey, guys. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for making room for me today. Thanks for coming. For this podcast. Yeah. Um, this is the part of the podcast where you guys tell the listeners what Gimlet Media is. Cool. Oh, you, right Just now? jump. Yeah, you go st- for Oh, it. we start. Yeah, yeah, we're wow. in. Wow. Exotic. Uh, uh, this, so, is the part, this is the part where you get to present your version of the company, and I get to probe you a little bit. Gotcha, about that. gotcha. Okay, uh, yeah. So, uh, Gimlet Media is, is a audio-first digital media company, um, and uh, we are striving to be the vanguard of digital media and audio. So, I would call you a podcasting company. You want sure, be, you want to be a digital company, and then I think in the past I've called you a digital or a podcast mm. network. Yeah, that'll work too. But you yeah. guys make podcasts. Sell podcasts, distribute podcasts. Yeah, there we had this we had this idea four years ago, which is that there was a new medium being born. And when new mediums get born, new media companies get built. And at the time it was the new medium was on demand audio and it came in the form of podcasts. And Alex was making podcasts at Planet Money that were very successful. He was seeing a lot of growth there. I was listening to a ton of podcasts and I'd grown up as a yep. radio producer. And we got excited by the idea of building uh, the HBO of audio. So invest heavily in really high quality content. We make shows like Reply All and Startup and Homecoming, which is fiction, and Crime Town. Um, and grow big audiences, attract brand advertising, and um, build franchises. So there. And the origin story was this came out of Startup, the podcast that Alex made at. Yeah, well, we Matt and I both come from backgrounds in radio, um, public radio specifically. Um, I I came into it and sort of got on a producer track of This American Life. Matt Matt came in through um, various like MTV and WNYC, and then swerved into business and got a got a business degree, and then worked in uh, worked at BCG, and so and then we sort of came together because we saw this. Um, great opportunity in, in digital media. We were both seeing it from our, from our unique vantage points. I was working at This American Life for many years, which was sort of the, the original sort of like public radio storytelling narrative, um, nonfiction narrative it's what, show. Everything sounds like This American Life today because This American Life was so groundbreaking. <laughs> this American Life, and This American Life really launched this thing. And then from, from This American Life, <clears throat> um, me and Adam Davidson, who was a reporter at NPR, we launched a show called Planet Money. Right. Um, and it was at Planet Money where I was sort of dubious about the idea of Planet Money in the beginning. Adam had to convince me uh, because I was like, oh, this American life, especially the special sauce can't be translated into something else. And then we launched Planet Money and sure enough, like there was a whole audience for well-crafted narrative, you know, sort of audio stories. You guys about, famously did something about the financial crisis. Yeah, we did, a, we did a show called The Giant Pool of Money, which was sort of explaining the financial crisis. Yep. And then we, 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 that sort of launched us. And so it was, 
So we saw this sort of, a, and like the audiences were showing up and it was, we'd do live shows and people were screaming. It felt like I was a rock star for a second. And, uh, and so it just, it, it felt very much like, okay, this is something, we're at the beginning of, of something special here. Um, and that gave me the idea to, to launch a company that, was, that would sort of raise money and then launch more shows like Planet Money. And then you did this meta thing where you made a podcast about you starting a podcast. Yes. And so our first, and so Matt and I joined forces, we raised some money, and then we, our first podcast was called Startup. Uh, and it was the story of launching, it was, the, it was a podcast about the launching of a podcast company. So let's just talk about scope broadly. So you're, you're four years into it, um, you've raised money, which I've written about. Uh, how many employees do you have? We now have just over 110 employees. And there are, and we're based here in Brooklyn. We have, you're sitting in one of our six studios. We're moving later this summer to new studios we're building in downtown Brooklyn on Flatbush Avenue. That's what you do when you raise money. Yeah, that's one of the things you do is you build, you build new studios. Put it into um, real estate. Well, actually, we're running out of space here. So, yeah. um, and there are three parts to the business. So we have Gimlet Originals, which is the shows that I mentioned, shows that we create, own, and operate, invest heavily in. We have Gimlet Creative, which is services brands who are trying to figure out how they should sound in audio. So they make all the advertising that appears on our shows. And then we also make original podcasts for brands like MasterCard and Gatorade and uh, Blue Apron and, and more. And then the third part of the business is Gimlet Pictures, which takes the um, intellectual property uh, from our shows and develops it for television and film. I want to talk about all that. I want to talk about the state of podcasting. But I th- one of the things that's really interesting to me, I think doesn't get talked about that much, is the stage of a company that you're in right now. So everyone, people sort of get the idea what a startup is and mm-hmm. go around and shake <clears> the can and the bolt of uh, the, the idea comes bolt from the blue uh, and they get what happens when you become very successful or fail. You guys are in this interesting point now where you're four years into it. You've raised money a couple different times. You're at 100 employees. Um Describe how that is different than literally the two of you starting off. What, what, <laughs> I mean, everything's different, obviously, right? But, yeah. but day to day, um, when you have a little bit of infrastructure under you, um, and some money behind you, how does that change sort of how you go about your job? Well, I, I mean, Matt and I both talk about how, like, when you, when you launch and run a company that is growing, your job changes like every, I don't know, three to six months, yeah. basically. Uh, and so, and, and for me, the one of the biggest differences is um, just sort of like how you, how we interact with the company. It used to be like we could just get in a meeting and sort of like, here's here's what we're doing now, guys. Because there were that many yeah. you could get in one room. Yeah, you could get in one room. And now... Uh, just sort of like there's enough there's enough people that there are different parts of the company that are working on different things. Do you know everyone know. who works here? I know. <clears throat> where I think we're just get. I do know everyone who works here. I yeah. think, but we're getting to the point now at 110. That's where things break. Yeah, and now we can't past this point. We will not be able to know everyone. Yeah, I know everyone well. now, but like there's people showing up who I'm like, wait, who, you know, who uh-huh. are you? <laughs> yeah. And so you, yeah. Have spend, you literally have to spend time thinking about how to communicate with them. Are we going to use Slack? Is this an email? Are we use this an email? And like, that's sort of like, how do we, how, what, and we have to build in infrastructure just right. to sort of like, just to sort of communicate to the And to that the sounds like a small thing, right? But it's, it's a big deal because you need to know that employee 111 actually understands what you want to do. Yeah. And that, by the way, employee 5 knows why you guys have decided to change X into Y. Oh, or they may, they may or may not know why we've decided to make the changes we have. If we've done a good job, we've, we've helped them understand it. But they also may disagree because they may have joined for one reason at 5 and then at 100 it feels like, wait, I, I don't, this isn't why I 
joined here. And so the thing about startups is like, I think the, going back to, to this, the first show that we did, which was called Startup, and it was about what it's really like to start a business. And it became a smash hit very quickly on Alex hosted it and told the story in a really raw way about what it's like to start. And the myth of being an entrepreneur is like, that it's all that it's like, if you ask any entrepreneur, how's it going? They will tell you, Crush especially, it. oh, we're crushing it, Peter. Like, we just made a great hire. We just closed our most recent round of fun. And we got, like, we got, we got MasterCard as a customer. Like, everything's going great. And the truth is, the way it feels is 180 degrees the opposite. It feels like everything is about to break. There's so much change that it that it's like very jarring and uncomfortable. And the reason Startup the Podcast has been so successful is it pulls back the curtain on what it's really like. And it's still like that. I mean, I think right, now, so getting to 100 employees, raising a bunch of money doesn't make that you're you're not crushing it. You're being crushed. Feeling go away. Oh my God, no, no, and and it, <clears throat> it just changes it, and it makes it more. I think the thing that it also does is it forces. Um, me and Matt to be more connected and more aligned on the direction of the company because there's so many people now that like unless we're pretty clear about it like things can just sort of like people can be doing things and maybe it's good maybe it's bad but it's sort of like the it's not necessarily all working in unison and so we have to be together like we we actually we've been seeing a an executive coach, which is a, a fancy way of saying like a marriage counselor. Yeah, basically. Matt. Matt, tell me who yeah. you want. You want to. You want to tell. Tell. It's a, it's a famous executive coach. <laughs> it's a famous executive coach, Jerry Colonna, yeah. uh, known as the CEO Whisperer. Uh, we met him actually through the podcast. I think uh, he was. He we featured him on an early episode of Startup. Basically, yeah. a psychologist for for startups. He's not licensed, so right. he's not like a yeah. But but he employs therapist. a lot of. He's, he's a therapist, and um, but his background was. He was a venture capitalist and then did private equity, and so he understands business and he understands uh, that context too. There's a great wired feature about him if you want to go yeah. Google. Yeah, yeah, and he had. I mean, the story he tells us that he had a. Um, he was a. He was a pretty. He was a very successful sort of like he worked at. I think he worked at in private equity in a bank, and then he found himself crouched under his desk having a panic attack and realized I'm in the wrong business. So, uh, so he's helping yeah. you do what, what data? What sort of stuff is he? Is he advi- He's not advising you, right? Because he's, he's giving you sort the of the interesting. There, there's different flavors of. You know, executive coaching has become a thing. It did not used to really be a thing, and now it is. And there's different flavors of coaches. And some coaches are about, let me tell you what to do, and then let me hold hold you accountable if you don't do it. Like, here's how you should grow this team, or you should fire that person, or, you know. um, And then there are kinds of coaches that are sort of on the more yeah, I guess marriage counseling or spiritual end, which is if you're going to be a successful leader, you first have to be successful in understanding yourself and what motivates you and be in touch with what's going on in your gut. Mm -hmm. And that is more the kind Jerry is, is like, let's conduct a form of self-inquiry that helps us get closer to why we're all here. Is it working? I I mean, I... You know, I think I absolutely think it's working. Yeah. Like I, I, I buy it. Uh, I buy it pretty completely. I don't I, like. I don't think you can only focus on that. Obviously, like you need to be. You need to, you know, sort of think about strategy and like examine the market and like. But I do think a thing that brings down lots and lots of leaders is their own blind spots about their own triggers or their own things that are sort of like where they're acting not out of like sort of rational. Um, rational interest, but because they're acting out of emotion that they don't understand. And like, 
And I think that's very real. And I think you see it and it cascades through organizations. If you haven't fully come to grips with sort of like what your baggage is, it just like spreads throughout your organization. And I, I, I 100% believe that. And I, and I think that like Jerry has been very instrumental in helping Matt and I figure out what those blind spots are and making sure that they don't infect It's funny because when you write about or talk to or in any, any sort of business journalism, right, the, the sort of standard model is to talk about the person running the company. And then occasionally there's a reaction say, well, this sort of great man theory of, of, of telling a story is kind of bullshit because there's 100 people there and they all have individual roles. But it really does sort of flow from you guys. And if you guys have it together, people figure that out. And if you don't, that rolls downhill as well. It's yeah. super obvious, but until you're in it, you don't get it. You don't get it. And the problem is that, like, no, obviously we can't do this by ourselves. Like, we, we are, the, the, the entire success of the company is because of all the people who work here who are, who are, you know, putting their heart and souls into it and their incredible talent. The problem is that, like, as a leader and especially as you get bigger, you can just do a lot of damage. Right. You can you can you can you, <laughs> the, the, I think in some ways the maxim is to do, do no harm, you yeah. know, just sort of like unleash people to do their work. And if and if you haven't figured that out amongst you, uh, in yourself, you can actually sort of like can cascade. Is there some, is there some kind of screw up, some kind of damage you guys think you've done at this size that you literally couldn't have done earlier because you didn't have the resources to do it? You, you can make bigger mistakes. I'm assuming now, right? You can. Well, they affect more people. Yeah, yeah. Your your mistakes affect more people. I think. I don't think we've made any. I, I, we've definitely Nothing made mistakes. <laughs> we've definitely made mistakes. No, I mean, I, I think at the risk of like doing what I said, entrepreneurs do earlier. Things are going very well uh-huh. at the company, and so um, yeah, we've made mistakes. But um, I think the thing. I mean, the thing most both of us are most proud of about Gimlet is the culture and the fact that people come here to do their best work every day and they are really motivated by doing excellent work and working collaboratively to do it. And they walk in the door and they feel a sense of mutual support and being on the same team. And that, like, that, the thing that is, the thing that, like, the reason we do any of this, the reason we started this company um, is not just because we saw like, oh, this is a fast-growing market, and this is going to be great for advertising. Which, by the way, we, is a perfectly fine reason to start a totally company. Totally fine and reason most to start people, a company. And, and most people want to create an origin story, but but these origin story where I went to business school and I was looking for a good opportunity and I created this company, that's a good story. Yeah. Yeah. But well, not, we, it's not your story. But we, no, our story is like we actually love the medium of audio. Yeah. Like I spent a decade as a producer and I grew up like listening to NPR in the backseat of my parents' car. And I felt this, you know, when you go to a bar and you're like having a conversation with your friends and you're just like really connecting with them. I do not have that that much at bars, but I have that when I listen to podcasts. Yep. I feel like I, I listen to your podcast every week, Peter. And even though you're very grouchy and skeptical, I'm like, oh, Peter's like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of friends with him. I'm yeah. like, I can connect with him. And so that's what we had. And we're like, we can, that power of like empathy that happens and intimacy through audio is something that like we just, I think, get excited about as producers and consumers. And we could also build a business around it and it informs how we work. So empathy is like a big, we use the word so much actually that I think it's lost meaning for some people in the building, but it's big about how we work with each other. Like, can you understand what's going on the other side of the table? Can you put on the other person's hat and think how they're, yeah. you know, approaching this? Are problem? you guys thinking practically about dealing with expectations? The employees who come at, at this size probably think of Gimlet differently than the employees who first started with you. You have investors who now have very specific expectations of you. Um, you can't just say we were X size and now we've doubled. You, you have different goals. Um, have you thought practically about sort of how to grapple with that? 
I think the people who come to work at Gimlet feel really psyched to come to work at Gimlet because because I think of the work that we're doing. And I feel like as long as like what Matt was saying about audio, it really is um, it's it's something that we we really believe deeply. Like when you listen to my voice, you are your people who haven't seen me before. They're constructing an image of me, right? And so I'm nodding. <laughs> and and you get it all the time. Like when you meet people who listen to your podcast, right? They say, "Oh, you don't look at all like I like I thought you look." Right? They say, "I like you in audio form." Yeah, they literally <laughs> say to my face, which God bless them. But see, that's the power of audio because they have created some image. Yeah. And it's and it's them. So your words, they're listening to your words, but they're hearing, but they're creating an image of you in their minds. And so your words become almost yep. literally a part of them. And that is the that's the power of it, right? Like they that you connect that way. And and when you combine that with the other stuff that we bring, which is sort of which is you know really just engaging storytelling, um, you know, great attention to detail, attention to quality. Like we're making work that people are excited to be a part of. And so I think. I think that's the that's what people when they come here that's that's what they're and that they're was the same into. when you started so you, you don't have to overthink that part yeah and that and, and as long and and the, the the danger is like you can sort of you can get away from it and I think as long as we are sort of like continuing that value prop not to, not to say that everything we do has to be sort of like this yeah. like a, you know, elaborately produced super expensive to make masterpiece but as long as we are making as long as we are keeping that front and center that we're leading the way we're not being derivative we're trying to be the beacon the vanguard of what's happening here. I think that will do the trick of, of that. That's part of why people come to work here. Matt, this doesn't. I don't seem grouchy, right? This is very touchy. I'm, I'm waiting for, I'm I'm waiting for the point in the interview where you're like, <laughs> "Okay, let me attack why you guys are actually sucking." But we did that to ourselves. Do you want to get to that part now? Let's take a, let's take a break first, and then, and then we'll we'll get to the next phase of the interview. We'll be right back. Today's show is brought to you by IBM. We live in a world that's creating AI-enabled everything, a world with more IoT devices than people. Today, technology has never been smarter. But smart only matters when you put it to work where it matters. When we put smart to work, we can help save species, increase crop yields, and make progress, not just for a few of us, for all of us. So let's get to it. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com smart. Hi, this is Kara Swisher, editor-at-large at Recode. If you like Recode Media, then you should also check out TechMeme Ride Home. If you're not familiar with TechMeme.com, it's a great way to keep on top of big tech news you might have missed. This new podcast takes what TechMeme is good at and distills it into podcast form. News headlines, context, and conversation around what happened today in the world of tech. And it's hosted by Brian McCullough, who also hosts the Internet History Podcast. New episodes come out every Monday through Friday, publishing around 5 p.m. Eastern Time, and each one is about 15 to 20 minutes long. To subscribe, just search your favorite podcast app for Tech Meme Ride Home. Back here still at Gimlet Media with Matt and Alex. I'm in awe of your, like, live live to commercial break skills. It's really You're good, really right? Good. Yeah. We're, get a host read. We're not going to get a host read today. Yeah. I've, I've stopped, except for the socks, I've stopped doing the host reads during the interview because I find that embarrassing. You Plus, find it embarrassing to I find talk it, about your Mac Weldon socks. No, Mac Weldon, I will talk about it. I'm wearing them right now. I pay for them with my money. You can go <laughs> to MacWeldon.com, 20% off the order code recode. Um, no problem with that. It's, it's, it's the stopping and starting, and the, there's, some, there's yeah. some reads I'm less enthusiastic about. Yeah. Let's talk about the business of podcasting. Yeah. So you guys have three main revenue streams, right? You make shows, sell ads on those shows. You make basically sponsored shows mm-hmm. for individual companies, and then you are taking your ideas that you've made as shows and bringing them to various 
people in Hollywood. Yep. What part of the business is growing fastest for you? Uh, Gimlet Pictures is growing fastest off the smallest base, yep. uh, but most of our business is advertising. So people who hear our shows and then they will hear a mid-roll break or hear a pre-roll ad where uh, we tell a story in the advertisement about the brand. That is most of our business today. The version of the ad that I'm going to hear in a show like Reply All. Yep. But then you also do sort of just sponsored shows where the show is, yep. is underwritten by a sponsor. You create it for a We sponsor, made a show right? for Gatorade about featuring the world's best athletes called Secret to Victory, where you can hear Peyton Manning and Serena Williams talk about how you become really successful. We make a show for Blue Apron about the anthropology of food. It just got nominated for a James Beard Award. The, our branded content just got nominated for a James Beard Award. And so that's, so Gimmel Creative, yes, to create sponsored shows and then creates all the ads, the native ads that you hear in our shows. So, so the Gatorade style fully sponsored show versus the ad in a show that you created sort of organically. Um, if you, what's the split between those two revenue wise for you guys? Biggest, the, the majority of our revenue is advertising. It's media ads that you hear in, embedded in the shows. Right. The second largest part of the business is sponsored shows that we make for brands, like the Gatorade show or the Blue Apron show. And then Gimlet Pictures, which really only has started in the last year, um, which is um, licensing IP and then producing television and film, um, is today the smallest part of the business, but the fastest growing. And, and how do you think, if we, would take, if we make a pie chart, mm-hmm. in a couple years, how does that, how does that revenue look? Uh, Ideally, things change or startup. I, I, yeah, I don't. I, if if I were to say it's like, is it a third, a third, a third? Is it like fifty, twenty five, twenty five? I, I actually don't know, but we're. I would say we're seeing actually a lot of growth across all three. This is a, it's a high growth market, right? And podcast today. So just to give you the like by the numbers, podcast today as an industry is not huge. It was a quarter billion dollars last year. Uh, it'll probably be you know. Four or five hundred million dollars this year. Facebook did about fifty billion last year. Yep, ish. Yep, and radio did eighteen billion last year. So the bet we're making is not this is a huge industry today. The right. bet we're making is the dollars that are running on radio right now are going to move over to on demand. It's funny sometimes people will say, "Isn't podcasting pretty small?" And you go, "Yeah." It's big in terms of the That's amount the of people it's, who are right. listening yeah. and the amount of time they spend listening, and it's an incredibly effective medium for adverti- mobile advertising. Um, but what happens in media is like first the uh, first consumers change their behavior, and then advertising dollars follow. And so right now, the just like the that, that quarter billion dollars was eighty up eighty five percent year over year. So it's the fastest growing media industry in the world next to. Esports and VR, um, and so our bet is that that growth is going to continue. And you know, same with the sponsored podcast. Brands are finding increasingly that this the the people who are listening to podcasts are really hard to reach. Our word for them is, if we look at our audience, the unreachables. So, um, median age of thirty one years old. They're watching a lot of television, but they watch on Netflix or Amazon where they don't see ads. And then they're on the internet all day, but sixty five percent of them use ad blockers. So they're very hard to reach. And we're reaching with our ads, and our ads are very effective because they're native, they're midstream, and we put a lot of work and care at Gimma Creative into making them good. Um, and then on the Gimma Pictures. It's growing because TV markets are very hot and the whole network television system is sort of being refactored and it created an opportunity for us to come in and I want to come back to the producers. TV stuff on the, on the sort of convention on the conventional ads versus the the sponsored show I get you, know, you have a hit show like reply all or startup you put an ad in there 
pretty straightforward. We can talk about some of the intricacies of that. The idea where Gatorade comes to you and says, make me a hit podcast, that seems pretty fraught. There's, there's versions of this in other medium where, where the sponsor says, I would like to have a show like that, except I'm going to own it, and it'll, bring, it'll deliver my message. Make that for me. And someone always says, sure, I'll make that for you because they'll take the money. But making a thing that people actually want to listen to that happens to be sponsored by Gatorade. Or didn't you guys do one for one of the dating services as well? We made Tinder. a show for Tinder called DTR, which is you know now in its second season. Um, and so it's I, all, yeah. I can see saying, look, we have an awesome show and it's popular. Do you want to underwrite it? That part makes sense. The part where someone comes to you and says, make me a show from scratch that I'll give you money for and then make it popular. That always seems super fraught to me. Yeah, well, we don't. No one is going to listen to a twenty-minute advertisement for Gatorade or Tinder or anyone right. else. So our our starting assumption is put the listener first. Let's actually make a show that we feel like fills a need in the market. And they sit in the room and go, yes, yes, yes. But then eventually, don't they go? Well, actually, we need to explain the electrolytes, right? yeah, or whatever, yeah. whatever the. Well, the, you can the, listen the to is. you can listen to uh, Secret to Victory. There's no discussion of electrolytes. Right, so you could actually listen to the whole thing and not totally know that so it's Gatorade. First of all, how do you talk them out of? Because inevitably someone says, well, I'm footing the bill. Let's, mm-hmm. let's have some brand leadership. Make there. the logo bigger. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, well, I think that is the art of like helping brands find their voice in audio. And there is an art to client service and doing great creative work in, like, and doing breakthrough advertising. And that's what we've gotten really good at in audio. So, yeah, it's not easy. Um, and then the other I, part yeah. that is fraught, maybe more so, is well, someone's got to listen to it. So you guys have made this awesome show. It is very hard to get someone to listen to your show. You well, can push it through your network, but eventually you're going to go, I, I, I like Matt and Alex, I like startup, but I, I don't want to listen to the Gatorade show to well, help that's them out. Well, that's the argument. I mean, that is what we tell clients is like, first of all, podcasts are an intent-driven medium. So this is not, podcasts are not like um, Facebook where uh, someone goes and just kind of sees what's in the feed. And if the feed serves you branded content or if it serves you your cousin's photos or if it serves you news, you'll take a look at it. Podcast people actually have to seek them out right. or a friend has to tell them, hey, this is a really interesting show. Um, and so uh, that is like that, that's kind of like the final argument for why you have to make the programming good and it can't feel like an ad because no one is going to go seek it out and then no one will hear it and it will be so- ineffective. Brand X says, I got it. I'm not going to push the electrolytes. You guys make an awesome show. Great. We're all on board. We love it. You put it out. It is not working, right? Because you make stuff and maybe it just does not catch. What happens now? You you have made the stuff. Everyone's agreed that it's good, but it is not generating enough audience for the for the advertiser yeah, to be you happy. Can't, how do you, you solve that you it's it's uh there's not really a great solution what we can you can't buy audience do you give them your money back i mean because if, if it, look if it's video right there is at least in at least the old days a couple of years ago right well we're just going to shove it into facebook or youtube we're going to buy the views we're going to make we, it we haven't it. we've i can i can think of one or two times that that's happened and what we will do is we will first of all we can we can drive some distribution because we promote these shows mm-hmm. across our network the ads you hear will run will point toward a show and then at some, it, but if a show doesn't get traction and like this is quite rare for us because like the thing that we put a lot of focus on is making it good so people listen and then tell their friends and there's an organic audience if it doesn't then 
um, we'll we'll promote it more on the network, or we'll say, hey, this isn't working. We need to adjust the content, or we can give you advertising across the network but to to. That's um, your to that's your version work. of a make good. Is. And it, but yeah. it's also just sort of that's a conversation that you have with the brand. Like we 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 can we we tell them like you know we'll set expectations. Here's what you're buying, and if you want if you want to get it shot at a bigger audience, here's where you can put some more marketing dollars. We can advise we'll advise yeah. them about that, but like. It's it's pretty holistic. Like we, we we will tell them like here's here's what you can expect, and here's um and here's how we think it gives you a better shot. It's like you focus on the story, you focus on making it good, you know, and sort of like and but it's just a negotiation, right? Like they, you know, it's it's another client. Uh, you know, there's the audience and there's the brand, and we have to make sure that both both are satisfied. Um, but we. Brands renew. Like they'll, we'll put out, we'll put out, you know, a, a brand of podcasts, and you know, a lot of times they're they're thrilled and they'll come back for a second or and a third season. There's a stage in in uh, companies' evolution and in a mediums' evolution where advertisers want to play with it. It's a hot yeah. new thing. They read about it in Wall Street Journal or Ad Age. I want to go get me some of that. It's going to look cool. And then at some point, two or three times into it, they say, "All right, I, I need to actually see results." Um, Podcast without getting too too nerdy here. Podcasting measurements, young, I guess. Would say. <laughs> um, there's a lot of discussion about how perci- precise it should or shouldn't be. Um, how are you bringing folks back four or five times um, as sponsors? How are you? How are you? How are you explaining them? That they're, they're actually getting their money's worth beyond sort of the novelty buy. So our advertisers do. Uh, do renew at high rates, and I would say mo- most of our business today is brand advertising. Part of the idea when we started was, if you listen to podcasts in 2014, you heard a lot of ads for direct response product, right? So you heard buy those Stamps- Mac Weldon socks. Yep, Mac Weldon, Stamps.com. You heard some Squarespace, Casper, and our idea was if we can build big franchises and then create an ad product that feels um, exciting, feels native, it, feel- it feels like it can tell a bigger story about the brand. We can attract brand dollars. But so just to be clear, most- right? The reason the reason uh, the direct advertising comes to you is they they can measure it pretty yep. effectively, right? They can yep. say they use the, the offer code. code. Yep. And by the way, we know exactly how much money that is worth to us when you buy a mattress from us. That's a really good t- uh, and people people that that's both very effective. And then you often find people like yourself saying, well, "We want to move into brand advertising. Why do you want to move into brand advertising and away from mattress or sock sales?" Um, because that is where bigger budgets are, and that is where we can do um, more interesting creative work. And ultimately, what we actually we think this is a great medium for brand advertising. The the emotional affinity we talked about that we have right. with the shows we listen to extends to brands too. So, how do those brands decide whether to renew or not? Well, they look at um, how many impressions did we get. They also like we do research. So we look before you heard the campaign. What was your awareness of this brand? Um, what was your what was your how much were you considering purchasing a Ford vehicle before you heard the campaign that ran on startup and how much after? And when we look at the lift on something like that, you know, twenty percent, twenty seven percent lift lift in purchase consideration, fifty percent lift in unaided recall. When you put it in front of brand clients, actually they're blown away, and they're kind of scratching their heads because how can this be? And the reason is the connection that happens through audio is like is is special and direct and it's not cluttered up with a ton of other stuff you're seeing on a feed or five other boxes you're seeing on your laptop screen you know when i've been reading about um the early do you know the do you know the story of the early days of cbs no so cbs which you know is now a giant media company um i mean it started as a radio company and 
William Paley, who's now like one of the most august, me, you know, yeah. media names of the last hundred years. And if you go to Midtown, you can go to the Paley Center of of media. Um, they were not a media family. They were a cigar family. They owned a cigar company called Congress Cigars. And in the 1920s, um, young William Paley was tasked with, you know, growing the cigar business. And at the time, I think cigarettes were becoming more popular and cigars, cigar sales were declining. And one of the things they tried in addition to print advertising, uh, newspaper advertising and magazine advertising was advertising on the radio. Like This they, new technology, the radio. This new technology. And they, the, the, con, the, the, the cigar was called La Pelina, which is the Paley. And <laughs> they created a, you know, Paley created a, a radio at La Pelina Radio Hour and found that it drove a huge amount of like reverse declining sales, more results from radio than they had got from print, and realized like this then became infatuated with the medium of radio, decided like actually cigars aren't cool. What's cool is radio. So like, hey dad, will you buy me a radio station? And that was the original Colum uh, Columbia. Now we have Lost Moon Moonves suing Sherry Redstone. Went on to discover so, Sue Crosby like, and radio was after the races. But like the growth of radio was like audio is a great medium yeah. for advertising. And the same is true today with podcasting. And brands are increasingly discovering. There, you know, when, when banner ads started a couple decades ago, the initial click-through rate was like 80% because no one had ever seen an ad on their screen like that. And now the click rate is basically zero, right? Do you think about sort of what's going to happen once you sort of get through this first phase of, of people who are really, really, really intensely into their podcast and, and willing to sort of support an advertiser because they like the podcast and they get that, they sort of get it. And as this thing scales up where it becomes more standard, and people get more used to the idea that maybe I can click through this ad. I'm not that engaged in it. Do you think about sort of whether you're going to hit that inflection point or how do you th whether that's going to be an obstacle for you? I think that the essential dynamics are are the same. I, I don't think that like I think that the, the the process that I described to you of like sort of like when you um, listen to somebody that, yep. that that you connect with them. I don't think that changes. So I think that. That's at the heart of what makes podcasting effective, and that's what at the, at the heart of what makes podcasting advertising effective. I think when you listen, like you can you can detect, you can hear emotional honesty. Yes, and I think you can and, tell when I like the socks and when I'm just yeah, kind of reading a script. And you can hear, and and that's why a good conversation where people are actually revealing, where actually being authentically themselves and having their authentic emotions, why that plays, and why nobody turns that off when that's happening. And and that's why when people come on and they BS you about how like we're killing it, that's bad audio. And so I feel like if you can get that and, and that the same dynamic works if you if and this is what we tell our brands all the time, like emotional honesty is gonna is what works. And like if we can get that into the ad, it will work. What how do you guys feel about programmatic audio advertising. Um, this is what dominates uh, traditional media. Um, some people think this is what's going to move podcasting from a small business to a really big business. People say there's no way it's going to work because once you start hearing someone else's random ads inserted there, you're just going to skip past it. Yeah, I think programmatic audio is coming. And what we're really conscious about is, n is not eroding the listener experience. If you turn on radio right now, you're going to get ad loads, you know, 15, 20 minutes per hour, and they're going to sound interruptive and annoying. They're yelling at you. They're yelling at you. Um, and so we know programmatic audio is coming, and I think it fits in with the fact that there's a bunch of really large audio platforms that are sort of standing around the edge of the pool of podcasting. Some are tipping their toes, some are ready to jump in, some are already in. And those are scaled advertising platforms. And the ad solutions 
Um, those are not necessarily going, they're not going to be all host-read advertisements. Just because of scale. There's no way, because you simply yeah. can't stop it. Yeah, so the, I think the market's going to bifurcate, and some percentage of it is going to be programmatic, and that's going to be about scale and efficiency, and then some percentage of it is at 25 30%, I don't know, 40 I don't know, um, is going to be um, premium native advertising, and that's mostly where we're going to play, and that is about telling a bigger story and um, making an impact on the culture. Um, that's a good place to take a break and listen to an ad probably read by me i assume heartfelt <laughs> innovative support our sponsors so you can keep listening to this show for free i'll be right back today's show is brought to you by facebook inside feed and here's my colleague nishat kurwa to tell you all about that if you've been watching the news or reading the paper during the past few months you know that facebook has been a part of the national conversation happening around fake news and the spread of misinformation on the internet Directed by Morgan Neville, the short film Facing Facts provides an inside look at how Facebook is working on this complex issue. This 12-minute piece goes behind the scenes at Facebook's headquarters to reveal what the company is thinking about and how it's working to get ahead of this complicated problem. The film is a unique way for you to learn more about the issue directly from the people who work on it every day. Get an inside look at Facebook's fight against misinformation. Watch the film at InsideFeed.com. Are you a fan of true crime podcasts, but maybe you're looking for one that's funny? Why not check out a new show from CastBox called This Sounds Serious, The Case of Daniel Bronstad. 911, what's your emergency? Uh, it's my brother. I, uh, I think he's dead. Okay. Our podcast pokes fun at the mystery and crime genre in an amazing way because it delivers big on both laughs and story. It's really unlike anything you've heard before. Download This Sounds Serious wherever you get your podcasts. Sir, can you come back to the phone? Um, okay, what were we talking about even? Back here, still at Gimlet Media with Alex and Matt. Um, we've been talking about advertising. I want to talk about TV and movies and streaming media. You guys had a show on ABC. Um, was it called Startup? It's called Alex Inc. Called Alex Inc. Yeah. Loosely modeled on you. Loosely modeled, yes. Starring Zach Braff. Yes, indeed. Uh, it is the middle of May. Uh, ABC just announced that show is not coming back. Right. So you had a shot at TV. Didn't work. What'd you learn? Uh, so that was we learned. Um, so that was that was our very first TV deal. Type. And yep. when and when we that was they approached us. I don't even remember when when it was. It was very early in the company. It was like in the first year or two, and it was back when we were just sort of like we we were completely underwater and just trying to keep our keep moving. And it was one of those things where they came to us and we were like, yeah, yeah, yeah do it, do it. Great. We just need to sounds make great. Yeah, it. Sounds good. We'll sign the option and then go off and, and do it, thinking that it would never, ever happen, right? Because I had been, at This American Life, I'd had the experience of like, sort of like, people want option shows all the time and nothing and ever came of it. An option is someone writes you a check for something that's yeah. real money, but not a lot of money. No, like in the- Not to yeah. keep a company alive money. Yes, yes. And the idea is maybe we'll turn this into something and if we do, we'll give you more money. Yeah, exactly. And so we were like, okay, great. As long as uh, yeah, if, if it becomes Seinfeld, like we'll we'll make we'll make a bunch of money, and if not, like no no harm done. And so they went and and then but then we kept hearing like oh we you know we 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 but it was a, it was a good producer this guy John Davis who's like been in the business, and then we kept hearing like oh we attached Zach Braff to it, and then like you know and then like they they liked the pilot, and, you know, and there was all these sort of like steps along the way where it was like oh this is actually happening, um, but by the time it was happening, this was. Of all the TV and film projects that we're launching, we had by far the least amount of input. Do you have, into this what, what kind of input do you have into this? 
we very little. Very I mean, little. this was like we licensed the IP, uh-huh. you know, sold the option, and said, "You guys go with God. We're going to focus on building the podcast company." And so the show got made. It was really Alex, the story of Alex and his family. I'm played by Michael Imperioli, and uh, it went for a season. And I, I saw what Zach said the other day, which is, you know, feel really proud of the show. It didn't resonate with audiences. It got canceled, and that's the reality of network television. One thing we it was did, your first trip to TV into Hollywood, and you knew that, right? You know most shows get canceled. Yeah, yeah. Do, 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 that's still, it's your first show. Do you think, uh, at any point, do you go, oh, I like it, but I wish we would have done this, or I wish they would have gone this way, well, cast no, someone that, else? It, well, that, we weren't, that wasn't the approach we took. Like, yeah. We just, we said, we, at the time, we were like, the one key to our success as a company is going to be single-minded focus, and we're going to focus completely on building the yeah. podcast company. Now, one thing, so we 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 really weren't involved in in creatively developing the show, but what we did learn was that there's a much bigger opportunity in television and film. And so since then, you know, we're currently shooting. I would say the first show that we are quite creatively involved in, Homecoming, which stars Julia Roberts. It's wrapping up principal photography now. It'll be on Amazon this fall, and um, Eli Horowitz who created the podcast here at Gimlet, who's a Gimlet producer, is one of the executive producers on the show and is show running it. And, then, um, and it's not going to get canceled, right? Because they, they bought two seasons of it. They bought two seasons up front. Um, we have a film in development uh, based on a Reply All episode, and Richard Linklater and Robert Downey Jr. are attached. And then Sandra, our newest fiction series, which as a podcast starred Ethan Hawke and Kristen Wiig, um, we're developing now for television. But, but as well, and what's the as difference well. between these, other than that you're making different shows, um, what isn't it still sort of you have an idea someone says I like your idea I'm going to pay you some amount of money for it um, and then they know how to make TV and movies you don't it seems like it's still the same model different models so uh, you know in the first instance we were just licensing the IP now we're really taking on more producerial um, responsibilities where we're, we're you know we're attaching writers we're attaching talent we're packaging it and selling it to the network and so um, and it's not just we have an idea. I think one of the things we've realized is that when you come to Hollywood and you say, we have an idea, we also have a proven audience and six episodes that are each half an hour long with story arcs and characters and worlds that audiences we know they like because hundreds of thousands of people are listening to the podcast. That becomes a much more. And by the way, so we that's not, an explicit part of your pitch. We have an audience. We will bring this audience to this thing that you're going to pay us to make. We'll bring the audience, and we've proven the IP. And we have. And now what we have is you know a network of relationships and an ability to package together a project with um, the kind of talent that will break through. Because we're all trying this, right? Every media company. Yeah. That, that wants to disrupt TV and take TV's money eventually goes, oh, maybe we should get into this business where all the money is as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and, and the nice thing for all of us, right, broadly in media, is that Amazon and Apple and Netflix are all spending money right now, and so are this, the networks. It's like 500-plus mm-hmm. scripted shows this year, 500-plus shows. Um, I mean, and there's a million people knocking on their door. There always have been. And they all say, we have this audience, we have this idea, um, right? All day long, they see pitches. So um, other than saying we're really good at it, we have an audience, what, what else are you doing to sort of get people over the line? We're really good at it, and we have yeah. an audience. This goes a long way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it goes back to, you know, focusing on on these core principles of sort of like quality, moving the bar, 
and being being pretty relentless in the choices that we make. And so we have a very when when we choose a project to greenlight in in fiction, um, we are thinking. We're thinking entirely about what is the experience going to be like as a podcast. We're going proceeding entirely from audio, and we are and and we're thinking like, is it going to be engaging? Is it going to be new? Is it going to feel special? And like, and so we're seeing we're already seeing hundreds of scripts before we even sort of greenlight the ones that we make. So that's that's a big value add when right. you, so you can so you can go and so and the scripts are good. So that's one of the and, and we can yeah. take more creative risk. Yeah. I mean the whole key in Hollywood is like how do you take the most amount of creative risk and the least amount of business risk? What we're able to do in podcasting is take the most creative risk because it's not as expensive right. to produce and distribute a show as a podcast. And so we can prove out ideas that would not be accepted through the gatekeepers of Hollywood and prove them out in audio and 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 sort of validate them. I would, I would also we, say— we spent, we spent the beginning of this podcast talking about your background in audio, how you really know what you're doing, and about the connection you have with the audience because you're literally in their head. Um, obviously, we're talking about a whole different thing where you don't have that background and the connection of the audience is, yep. is different. So how do you – obviously, you have to bring in help. We part – so we, our approach is still very much a partnership approach. So we're not, we're not a television studio right. today. Um, I, I do think there's – I do – so with Homecoming, we went out and we brought in Sam Ismail, and he is directing the show and working with Eli to um, – as a showrunner. It's the Mr. And Robot guy. It's Sam Esmail who did Mr. Robot um, and with with anonymous content. Um, I would also say there's a difference between being a web publisher that's really good at getting, hooking in people's attention on social platforms or creating a great experience on a screen through articles or images or even videos that may be short form, like four minutes long, and then saying, how do we take that and make it into television? And doing what we're doing, which is all already formatted pretty similar. Yeah. So our episodes are, like I said, 20, 30, 40 minutes long. They have characters. We obsess about how are we going to create stakes that will pull people in? How are we going to pace these stories in a way that people are going to stick with us? So you're saying you have are, a leg up on the Voxes and BuzzFeeds of the world, even though we, even though my, our, my employer in BuzzFeed has been making video product for a while, um, and you guys haven't, you're saying you actually can make a better version of it because you know how to tell a story better. Well, you, you, you asked sort of like what gives you guys permission because yeah. everyone's trying to do this and we're a lot smaller and a lot younger um and i think one of the reasons that we're able to do this is because of the kind of storytelling we do yeah we're we're thinking already when we make podcast when we make, like reply all's recording in the next i've been sort of working on this new episode of reply all and like for our non-fiction podcasts we we and, and for our fiction podcasts we think in terms of narrative arc we think in terms of story structure that's just sort of built into the DNA, our dna as, as as a company so it's not that we're like i would never want to go up against buzzfeed and sort of making viral content like that yeah. is the thing that they have perfected and are, are are excellent at and i would not bet against them just pivoting into other things as well it's just that we happen to be in a we think about structure similarly and i think that just helps when we're when we're making uh, when we're making decisions about what kind of brand, branded podcast to to I'm sorry, what kind of fictional podcast to go to Greenlight, we're making the same kinds of calculations that probably people in TV and, and film are making as well. So just, it helps. We're thinking about the same things. What's your favorite non-Gimlet podcast today? First thought, best thought. Don't pause. Um, what's, what's, in your, what's, what's in your iPhone right now? <laughs> I've, been, I've been listening to this, this wackadoodle podcast 
that I noticed on the chart. It's called Tropical Moon. Oh, have you, have you no, heard it? I don't know. What is this? It's so weird. And I, I sort of love it. It's bizarre. It's like, it's this, um, it's this, it's this guy and he just, he, he, it's a fiction podcast and it's just him. He tells stories. So it's sort of in that sort of welcome to Night Vale vein. Uh-huh. But there, but there's more of like an arc to each episode, but it's about this fictional world called Tropical Moon. And like everybody there is, it's very beautiful and everybody there is pretty happy and they go on these weird little whimsical adventures. And and it's sort of like Douglas Adams, you know, the Hitchhiker's Guide to yeah, the Galaxy yeah. kind of thing. It's like, they're, they're pretty comic. Not as funny, but like just weird and sweet and bizarre. And I like it because it's like this guy is somehow has just like imagined this world and he's created this podcast around it. And it's just, it's, it's bizarre. I've listened to a couple of them now and they're just, they go down very easy. Tropical Moon. Matt, Tropical Moon. Matt, you got yeah. one for us? Oh, God. There's so many. <laughs> just took the I first one. Uh, I'm listening to, uh, oh, I must say, I'm actually listening to the new TED podcast, Work Life with Adam Grant, oh, yeah. because it has How management lessons. Oh, yeah. Which is, like, something I'm obsessed with. Yeah. Is it good? Have you learned anything yes. that you've been applying? Is it good? No, yes. I just keep listening. I, I hate sent it. the podcast episode about feedback around to the whole executive team and why it's important. <laughs> Obviously, you didn't listen. <laughs> It's it's well intentioned. All right, Tropical Moon TED podcast reply all. Uh, go go help out Amazon and watch that show when it airs. When's that going to air? Uh, this coming this fall, I think October November. All right, yeah. we'll see if we can give Jeff Bezos some help. Um, thanks to you guys. For thanks your, a lot. Your thanks time for having us. And your patience. Thanks to you guys for listening. Uh, thanks to Cadence Thirteen and Vox Media who brings you ads. You can listen to the show for free. Thanks to Joel and Golda and Eric. I think I got everyone's names right. Um, Because they make this show possible. Um, This is Recode Media, Peter Kafka. I will see you next week. Today's show was brought to you by IBM. By 2050, the world population will reach nearly 10 billion and food production will need to grow by 70%. Farmers are working with IBM and Watson to help increase their crop yields. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com slash smart.